Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The first reading is taken from Genesis chapter 28, beginning at verse 10, and that can be found on page 30 of the Church Bibles. That's Genesis chapter 28, beginning at verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's house, Then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. The second reading is taken from John chapter 1, beginning at verse 43. And that can be found on page 1064. That's John chapter 1, beginning at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. 
Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Evening, everyone. Great to see you here. And um, if you'd like to turn back to Genesis 28 in your Bibles, because that's what we'll be looking at together for um, the next little while. And uh, if it helps you, then um, there are, uh, there's a bit of space on the back of the blue handout with some headings on it. If it would help you to um, follow along, uh, to take some notes, that sort of thing, that's there. Um, I'm, I'm going to pray for God's help as we come to look at this together, and then we'll dive in. So let's pray. Our Lord God, we pray that this evening, as we look at your word together, we would hear your voice and that you might reveal yourself to us. We pray that you would give us listening ears and attentive soft hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you were searching for God... Where do you think that you would look? If you were searching for God, where do you think that you would look? Uh, it might be that you're here this evening and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian believer, but you're, you're here and you're taking a look at things. You want to see if there's any truth to the Christian faith. You're, you're searching for God and your search has brought you here just for a little while. And let me say, if that is you, then you're very welcome. Uh, there's always a good number of people like that amongst us every Sunday at Fullwood Church. Uh, we love to think about things and to answer questions. And if that is you, I hope that you'll stick around and you'll find answers to the questions that you're asking. I hope that you'll um, come back as well, and I'd love to meet you at the end. But, but I guess for many this evening, perhaps for most of us, we would call ourselves Christians here this evening, and yet I hope that we are still people who are searching for God. I hope that if, if you're a Christian here this evening, you are, you're someone who wants to know more of God to understand more of his character, to enjoy him more, that in that sense you are searching for God. The, the Christian life is never static. We're always, always growing in knowing God or, or perhaps growing to know him less. And so um, this evening I hope that you are searching and the question is, where do you look? Uh, I was on a weekend away a few years ago. I will protect the guilty by not telling you who or where, but long before I came up here to Sheffield. And um, if you can imagine the scene, it was the sort of classic Christian weekend away. So we were in a, a fairly cold uh, retreat centre. Uh, the walls seemed to have no insulation whatsoever. There are about six or eight of us sat in a circle. We're holding cups of weak tea and biscuits. And the, um, and the discussion leader asked us, where do you find God? And that was the discussion we were having around the group. Where do you find God? And um, uh, uh, one of the women in the group said, um, I, I like to find the thin places in nature. 
You know, I like to get away from the hustle and bustle into the natural world and find the spots where I really feel close to God, the thin places in nature. And another guy piped up, I'll be honest, for quite a long time about the pilgrimage that he took to Spain to an ancient site of Christian heritage and how he'd found God there. And, um, and someone else um, talked about their sense of a deep experience of God when they're in a church building in silence, and there they are in that special place. Uh, I have to say at the time, um, I was going to a church that rented space in a pub before it opened on a Sunday morning, and so I was thinking um, it definitely wouldn't be there for me. But, um, but around that circle, uh, all of us professing Christians, there was a wide range of ideas about where you go if you're searching for God and if you want to find him and know him. Uh, And let me say as well, I'm not assuming that if you're here, you are definitely someone who is searching for God. You know, it might be that you're sat there and you'd say honestly in your heart, Andy, I'm just not really, I'm not really looking for God. I don't know that I really want to do business with God, at least not this evening. And, um, And here as we dive into Genesis 28 and we rejoin this figure of Jacob in the Old Testament, one of the founding fathers of the Christian faith. Uh, his sons, his 12 sons, would become the 12 tribes of Israel. He's a key figure of the Bible. But here in Genesis 28, he is not a man who is searching for God. And yet God finds Jacob. And as we dig in together, we'll see how it is that God finds us and makes himself known to us. Uh, Jacob is a man in turmoil. If you were here with us last week as we looked at Genesis 27, he's a man whose life is a mess. He, he deceived his elderly father, stole the family inheritance from his elder, uh, from his elder brother Esau, and so his mum, Rebecca, has had to come up with a cover story for him to flee his hometown because Esau, his elder brother, wants him dead, and he's on the run, and he's in turmoil, and um, we saw as well in Genesis 27 that, that I, I'm sorry, um, Jacob is a man who, who wants God's stuff, but he doesn't want God. Just flip back a page with me, if you will, to Genesis 27 and verse 20. So we're in the middle of the deception here. Jacob is claiming to his, be his brother, and his father Isaac says, how did you find the, um, the, uh, the food for me so quickly, my son? And Jacob answers, the Lord your God gave me success, he replied. And here is a man in Genesis 27 who is putting all of the powers of his persuasion and trickery to work to get God's blessing He wants God's stuff, but he doesn't actually want God, the Lord, your God. In fact, when he uses the Lord's name, he uses it blasphemously. He co-opts God into his lie to deceive his father. You see, this is not a man searching for God. This is a man on the run and a man with little interest in God. He, He wants God's stuff, but he doesn't want God. And here in Genesis 28, the Lord God reveals himself to to this guy, to Jacob. Just have a look at verse 10 with me, Genesis 28, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba 
and set out for Haran. That's the city in the north he's on the run to. He's moving fast. And verse 11, when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down for a sleep, uh, to sleep. And so here is a man on the run, and he stops for the night, notice in verse 11, in a certain place. And now this is a surprise right at the beginning of the story, because Genesis is a book full of place names. Have you noticed that as we've been looking at it together? Full of place names. And of course, he's going to give this, name, uh, this place a name later in the story. But here at the beginning, it's just a certain place. Do you see the point? Jacob hasn't stopped at the number one recommended oasis on TripAdvisor. He's just stopped at some place in the middle of nowhere. Jacob is nowhere, geographically and personally. Jacob's nowhere, and he's got nothing. Verse, 12, uh, verse 11, he puts a stone under his head. No tent, no bag, just a stone under his head. And yet this is the man on the run, nowhere with nothing that God is going to reach out to and make himself known. Uh, Three things we're going to look at this evening. What Jacob saw, what he heard, and then what he did. And so first of all, what Jacob saw, God reveals to Jacob that he is king. God reveals that he's king. Have a look down at verse 12. Uh, Jacob had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, and there above it stood the Lord. And this is what Jacob saw, the Lord, the God of the Bible. And um, notice that this is, it's a very specific vision that Jacob has in this dream. It's not a sort of hazy nightmare. It's not that Jacob has been up too late eating cheese or something like that. Here is a vivid personal encounter with God. And we're going to hear in the following verses that he receives a personal and precise promise from the Lord And it is an awe-inspiring vision. Uh, Another version puts the word behold in there at the beginning. Behold, it's a phrase that denotes a lifted arm and an open mouth. And artists have tried uh, down the centuries to capture the sense of this vision, Uh, not to mention old school guitar bands to capture the sound of it or something like that. But artists have tried to capture what's going on here and it's almost impossible to do because what Jacob is shown is really the cosmos as it really is. A vision of heaven and of the Lord, the God of the Bible. A staircase leading up to heaven, just as a staircase might lead up to a royal palace or to a temple. And coming up and down this staircase, the angels of God. An awe-inspiring vision of the universe as it really is. The cosmos and heaven Earth and heaven connected. And look at how Jacob describes it in verse 17. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And that uh, that, that phrase, the, the house of God, 
It sounds quite sort of pedestrian and dry, doesn't it? As if God lives in a sort of um, terraced house somewhere in Walkley or something like that. Oh, the house of God. Uh, it's a word for a palace. And the, um, the gate of heaven, well, it's not just talking about the sort of the, the front door of that palace. In the ancient world, the gate is the sort of the building at the front where the, um, the civil service and, and the, um, the council of the king meet and from where the kingdom is governed. Uh, the students were looking at the book of Esther on our weekend away recently, so they will be all over this. Because in the book of Esther, the character of Mordecai works at the king's gate. You see, it's where the council meet. It's where the kingdom is ruled from. And as Jacob sees this vision of heaven opened and of a great staircase leading to the palace, well, he sees where earth is ruled from, the reality of our cosmos, the king, his palace, and his kingdom. And up and down this staircase, these servants and messengers of the Lord are going to and fro and bringing his rule to the world. God reveals to Jacob that he is king. And what a profound lesson that must have been for Jacob. Here is a man who had run his life his own way. He'd been out to get everything he could with a quick mouth and a strong personality. He was there to get, to take He's a man in charge of his own destiny and God stops him in his tracks and shows him that God, the God of the Bible, is the Lord, the sovereign one. That the way that the world really works is that it's ruled from heaven by God. And you see, the first thing Genesis 28 shows us about finding God, or better, being found by him, is that we're found when he shows us that he is king and Lord. That we can trust him with our lives because he rules his world from heaven. And yet there are so many people, aren't there, who, who know at some level there is a God, but who are happy for God to dwell in the suburbs of their lives, to keep him at arm's length never to let him get personal, never to let him be king over them. And the God of the Bible reveals himself to Jacob that he is a king. And to know him is to see him as the one who rules. But then we've seen what Jacob saw. Secondly, what Jacob heard. And in this vision, in these words, God declares his grace to Jacob. Look again. At verse 13, above this staircase stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you'll be spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And your offspring. And it's a beautiful moment. Isn't it a beautiful moment? Jacob, who was not searching for God, he wasn't longing for God, he wasn't pleading with God, he wasn't looking for him. This is not a man who, in a moment of crisis, has turned to the Lord. This is a man on the run, and God takes hold of him 
and stops him in his tracks and makes him an incredible promise. The first line is very pregnant, isn't it? I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. Uh, God to your granddad, God to your dad, but now the Lord says, I'm going to become your God, and you will know me. And he repeats the, um, the promise that he made to Abraham in the next few verses. Now listen, I wonder, if you could fix any one thing about our world, what would you fix? I've asked a few people about that today, just um, like to ambush people after the 11 o'clock service this morning. What would you fix about the world? And people have said to me, I would, uh, I'd cure cancer if I had the ability, I'd end human suffering, Um, I would end my own personal struggle to be the person that I long to be in my own personal battle with sin, were some of the answers. And one guy said I'd fix the tile on my bathroom floor that's been annoying me for months. And I, I don't know what you do with that, but what's the one thing you would fix about the world? The scope of what God promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is to fix everything about our world. Uh, to, give, to give him a place in the land. Verse 13, I'll give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. A good land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The land of their dreams. And the New Testament says it points forward to the new creation that God promises. The world we all want a world with no more pain or sickness or suffering, with no more cancer or human suffering, a world with no more struggles with my own sin, no more shaming and draining cycle of knowing that every day I will fail my God and have to go back in um, repentance and ask for forgiveness, and a world with no more awkward tile in your bathroom floor as well. And God promises that to him. He, He promises a people a great people like the dust on the earth in relationship with God and blessing that will overflow to all people on earth through a descendant of David, through a rescuer who will come from his line. The scale of the promise is breathtaking and God stops Jacob in his tracks and says this promise is for you of all people, the deceiver the man on the run. It's the promise that Jesus called the kingdom of God. And God is folding Jacob into his kingdom and his plans. Look, two things not to miss about what Jacob hears. The first is that the heart of this blessing is not prestige or wealth or getting one over your brother. The heart of this blessing is a personal relationship with God. Have a look at verse 15. I am with you, and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. Do you see the beating heart of this blessing promised to Jacob, this kingdom of God, is knowing the God of promise. All the other good things, the fixed world flows from knowing him. Jacob's about to spend many years in exile and yet many years knowing the God of promise. Jacob, who wanted God's stuff but didn't want God, 
and God reached out to him and made himself known to him and bound himself to Jacob with a promise. But then secondly, and don't miss this, the outrageous kindness of our God the outrageous kindness to Jacob. Just think for a minute how little Jacob deserves to receive this promise. Of all the people in the story, does Jacob really deserve God to reveal himself, to bind himself to him in a promise? Remember, this is not a moral, compassionate, religious man. <clears throat> Excuse me, religious man. This is a selfish con man who's just deceived his elderly father out of his inheritance You'd be forgiven for thinking that Jacob was the worst member of the family from hell and God reveals himself to this man and says, I want to know you and bless you and fold you into my kingdom and my promise for the world. Jacob, it's for you. And as I've read this, more and more I've thought that I can relate to Jacob in this story uh, not because uh, I've got a secret dark history as a con man or something like that. This is not that kind of story. I, uh, I had a very uh, ordinary upbringing with a very loving uh, family. But as I look back on myself in my teenage years, I wasn't seeking God. Uh, like Jacob, I hardly ever used God's name. And when I did, it was as a swear word, blasphemously. I wanted God's stuff but I didn't want God. And when I was 16, God found me. I wasn't looking for him, but a friend brought me to his church and God showed me his kingship and his kindness, his rule and his grace very vividly and took hold of me. And you see, this is the God of the Bible. Not a God who gives his promise to people who think they deserve it or can earn it, but a God who takes hold of people on the run and makes himself known to them. A God who comes to sinners in grace. And maybe you can relate to that too. See, we can't work our way to God. God takes the initiative and makes himself known to us. But hey, I guess the, um, I guess the big point, uh, the big question at this point for us as readers is where will I find God? After all, he made himself known to Jacob at Bethel. Do I need to go to Bethel in Israel? Uh, do I need to go to a thin place in nature? Do I need to go to a special building and call it Bethel, the house of God? Do I need a dream or a vision like Jacob? I mean, God has never revealed himself to me in that way. He hasn't promised that he'll reveal himself to you in that way. Well, our second reading from John 1 is very, very interesting indeed. Did you pick up on this when it was read? Um, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. There's just one verse I'm going to read uh, for you. You probably remember it. But um, John 1, verse 51, Jesus says to Nathanael, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending where? On the Son of Man. That is on Jesus Christ. Jesus says to Nathaniel, you will have an experience just like Jacob did at Bethel. You will see 
the kingship and kindness of God, his rule and his grace revealed to you. And to do that, watch me, the son of man. Watch me and see God in his rule and in his grace. And um, I have to say, this was exactly my experience as a 16-year-old, as someone read a gospel with me. That invitation to Nathaniel of Jesus, watch me and see God in his kingship and kindness, his rule and grace. I saw the power and authority of Jesus as he calmed a storm, as he healed the sick, defeated evil, overturned death. Again and again, Jesus shows that he rules our universe. And you can see it for yourself in the pages of the Gospels. And the grace, the undeserved kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ as he goes to person after person, the last people you'd expect, the most unlikely people, and he extends God's forgiveness to them. And perhaps most of all, as he's raised up on a cross and he bears the curse, the right punishment that I deserve for wanting God's stuff but not wanting anything to do with God so that the blessing and the promise to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob could come to a sinner like me and heaven and earth meet as Jesus is raised up on the cross. And listen, here this evening, I don't know if you're you're seeking for God or, or not really looking for him. But God has made himself known in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this evening, as we open the Bible, God makes himself known to you in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ offers his promise of life to the most unlikely and sinful of people to the ungrateful, self-centered, and the blasphemous, like Jacob. And you know, if you're here this evening and you'd say, look, Andy, I I am a Christian, but but I want more of God. I'm searching for God. I want to know him better. I want to enjoy him more. Well, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, he has made himself known to you. You don't need to find him in a special place. You don't need a dream or a vision. God could reveal himself to you in that way. God does reveal himself in that way, but he hasn't promised to. But you can open a Bible and see Jesus Christ and know the God of Bethel for yourself. He has revealed himself in his rule and his grace to you. We've seen what Jacob saw. We've seen what he heard. We're just going to end by looking at what Jacob did. And the last thing we see in this passage is that God begins to transform Jacob. God begins to transform Jacob. Just have a look at verse uh, verse 20 with me for a moment. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house then the Lord will be my God. And the stone I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. And you see, here at the end of Genesis 28, 
as he's made himself known to him at Bethel, at this moment, as God has revealed himself, God has started to completely turn Jacob's life around. And as we read on in the book of Genesis, we'll see his life transformed. Jacob prays a prayer of his own. He makes a vow. There are really three parts to it. Uh, Down in um, verse 21, the Lord will be my God, the God of Abraham, my granddad, of Isaac, my father. He's made himself known to me and I want him as my God. This stone, the stone at Bethel, will be God's house. Jacob's never going to forget that God has come to him in grace as a sinner and called him to be his own. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Well, that's how you recognize a king in the ancient world. You give them a tenth. You see, here is Jacob praying a prayer in which he wants the Lord to be his God, the king, the one who's shown him grace. God takes Jacob and completely changes his attitude from the Lord your God to the Lord my God as he prays. And sometimes people ask me, how, how does someone become a Christian? And um, I probably wouldn't take them to Genesis 28, but the, the principles are all there of praying to God for grace and to have him as your God and king. But hey, here's a question. What did you make of the ifs in the prayer? What did you make of the if in verse 20? If God will be with me and watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. Is this Jacob up to his old tricks? Is he trying to strike a deal with God? Is this a bargain of some kind? Well, well, no, I don't think that it is. You see, we've seen Jacob in verse 17 afraid and in awe, and the if could easily be translated as since God has promised me all of these things. But I think that it is an invitation to us as readers. Because you see, here God has turned Jacob around, but Jacob's faith is still small, small as a mustard seed. And it's as if Jacob prays, Lord, I want to see you keeping these promises that you've made. And as you keep them, I'll trust you. And we're being invited to do the same thing as we read on in Genesis. We're going to see God keep every one of these promises to Jacob to see that the God who makes the promises is faithful to keep them. And the same thing is going on in John 1. As Jesus says to Nathaniel, you'll see greater things. It's an invitation to go with him and to see more and for faith as small as a mustard seed to grow. You know, again, I look back to 16-year-old Andy, the summer that I first prayed a prayer, just a little bit like Jacob's, and asked God to be my God, to forgive me and to be my king. And I definitely trusted him, but it was, it was such small faith as I look back. God had a lot of work to do. He still does, but hopefully a little bit less than he did 20, just less than 20 years ago. And here is the reality of a growing faith in the Lord God. And it's one that can be true for us as well, an invitation 
Read Genesis. Read John's Gospel and see Jesus Christ. See the God who makes promises and keeps them and know him better and trust him more. I wonder if uh, you'll commit yourself to do that. If we're searching for God this evening, or even if we're not, where will we find him? Well, he has made himself known to us in the Bible and supremely in the person of Jesus Christ who we find in its pages. We won't find him ourselves through being strong or smart or spiritually minded enough. We won't find him by going to special places or hungering for special experiences, but he's made himself known. He's revealed himself in Jesus Christ and in the Bible that testifies to him. And whether you'd call yourself a Christian or not this evening, will you come and see and know him as he is and be transformed by him as Jacob was? Let me pray. Our Lord God, we thank you that you make yourself known to us as a king we can trust and submit our lives to, as a gracious, loving God who comes even to sinners like Jacob and like us and extends great promises and forgiveness to us, and a God who teaches us to trust you and transforms our lives. And we pray that you might make yourself known to us in the person of your Son, in the weeks and months ahead, more and more, that we might grow to trust you more and more. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.